Brethren, at this time, we're blessed to have our uh, sermon for today brought to us by Curtis Whiteley, entitled, The Light of Truth. Thank you, Matt. Good afternoon. It's wonderful to see everyone here. As it always is, and as Matt pointed out, the title of the message today is The Light of Truth. And on that, I just kind of wanted to start out talking a little bit today because it seems that our society that we live in, the world that we live in, has a little bit of a problem with truth. It seems that we kind of live in a world where, in some ways, sadly, we've kind of lost the ability to decipher what is true and what isn't. And so I was coming up with this message today, thinking about different things happening uh, in the world, in our country, the things that are being said, uh, the arguments and debates of whether or not some, something someone said was true or not. It's unfortunate, but it seems that people can't quite understand how to articulate truthfully just how something happened. We can look at this obviously in our political world, which is one thing that I'm thinking about right now. But we can also think about this idea in other aspects of the world that we live in. And so I was thinking today, and as I was preparing this message about the idea of truth, and we know the Bible is full of the idea of truth and contrast that with obviously things that are not true and I just kind of went to the dictionary because I was just interested in, in to, to learn what is this the definition of truth I mean how would truth be defined in today's English or a standard English dictionary so I went to dictionary.com and I got three quick definitions one of them not very helpful but the quality or state of being true Another definition, another aspect of this, that which is true in accordance with fact or reality. That's the way that I th see things and see the idea of truth, right? Truth is things as they are. Truth is what is reality? What is things that's based on fact? What actually took place? But a third definition kind of troubled me a little bit because I think it's kind of in line with in a lot of ways, the way that people look at things and, and measure the idea of truth, and that is, truth is a fact or belief that is accepted as true. And so that last definition kind of bothered me a little bit because I kind of, I started thinking about what does that imply? Do we live in a world where truth has become not necessarily something that has to be based on reality or fact, but rather measured by this herd mentality of how many people believe in it. So it's kind of like, well, if we can get this many people, the majority of people to believe that the sun does not exist and doesn't come out every day, then that's just the truth. It seems that we have kind of almost, and I'm being you know, a little sarcastic and a little dramatic on that, but it, in some ways, it seems that this is kind of the new 
world, new reality that we live in. Now, I don't really, especially lately, I don't really follow what's going on uh, as much as maybe I should lately. But I do know that it seems that every time I do turn on the news, what's being debated is simply whether or not specific political candidates or political figures have engaged in certain activities or not. Have colluded with certain individuals or not. And it seems that both sides, I like to look at myself as trying to be kind of one that's neutral, that doesn't take sides to the right or to the left, and just kind of as a spectator and just kind of shakes my head and, and goes about my business. That's, that's because it's, it's difficult for my brain to, to handle sometimes. But it's embarrassing. It's not so much, okay, let's just, what are the facts? Let the chips fall where they may. We, it seems like our society has lost that, that, that ideology, the way of thinking. Let's just let the truth reign. Let what took place come out. We're in a world now of magicians, essentially. Grammatical magicians. Well, I didn't mean, when I said the or the or not, I, mean, I didn't mean those words. I accidentally inserted a word that completely changed the meaning. And so we start, we start literally news commentators sitting here analyzing certain verbs that are added to sentences. And it's, 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 it's troubling to me, and I think many of you would agree, that we live in that society and that it has come to this. But I was thinking it's not just politics. It's, it's, it's more than that because it's even in, like, marketing schemes. You ever, you know, looked at a product and they come out with some sort of advertisement, you know, buy one, get, you know, one half off or uh, some sort of, uh, you know, promotional deal. But then you get to the store, or you maybe go online, and you look at it a little closer, and you realize, well, there's some fine print. There's some catches to these things. Because it's, 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 it's about deception. It's not about being truthful and being forthcoming and being transparent. It's about trying to get people in the door. And then their hope is, I guess, they think, well, I'm already here at the store. I might as well buy it. Came all this way. Unfortunately, that's the world it seems that we live in today. And I don't mean to be negative. There's a lot of good things that are happening and going on. And God's, as we're going to look into, the, the, the fruit of God's truth is evident in this world still. Even though sometimes the darkness that, that takes place in this world, uh, sometimes it's hard to, uh, to see those things. But i got three basic points today. And what the Bible has to say about truth. Number one, I want us to look at what truth is and our responsibility with it. If the world's going downhill, and more and more everything's just a fra fabrication, who or what on this earth is going to be the beacons of light of truth? Who is going to stand up for the truth of God? Secondly, I want us to look at why it is so hard for people to accept and recognize truth. Truth sometimes becomes so foreign 
that people don't even recognize it, and they think that what truth is is false. It's, it's, it's flip-flopped. It's the opposite. And third, why we need God to show us the truth. So to begin with, I'm going to go to a very famous passage in the Bible. It's an interesting question. It's, a, it's an old age question. It wasn't, an, it wasn't asked by Jesus. It wasn't asked by one of the apostles. But it was actually asked by a very powerful individual within the Roman Empire. We're going to go to look at John, the 18th chapter. And I'm just going to read this and give you a little context. John 18, verse 33 through 38. The context is, is that Jesus has been arrested. The Sanhedrin has proclaimed him to be blasphemous, that he needs to be put to death. And they bring him to this man named Pilate because the Sanhedrin really by law cannot put people to death. They have to go to the Roman authorities. And so in verse 33 of John 18, it says, Then Pilate... Enter the praetorium again, called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered him, Are you speaking for yourself about this, or did others tell you this concerning me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests had delivered you to me. What have you done? That's what Pilate's asking. Your own people have brought you here. You've upset them. Tell me, what did you do? What have you done for this situation to have occurred, for you have to have been brought to me? Verse 36, Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. Pilate therefore said to him, Are you a king then? Jesus answered, you say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born, and for this cause I have come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. And Pilate said to him, What is truth? And here we are in 2018, and it seems like we've came full swing back to that, to that kind of society. Now, whether or not, you know, it seems when you read the context, Pilate's playing the, the political card a little bit. In, in one way, he probably thinks, <laughs> why this man's harmless, there's no issue with him. Uh, but, Pilate's a Roman. And one of the things that the Romans did is they were people who emphasized order. They didn't want unrests. They didn't want things to be rattled or shaken or for riots to break out. And so Jesus will eventually be delivered and not delivered free but delivered into the hands of the verdict of the Sanhedrin. So Pilate said to him, what is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again to the Jews and said to him, I find no fault in him at all. So it's interesting, you have this man. If you don't know who Pilate is, Pilate was appointed as Prefectus of Judea by the Emperor Tiberius in A.D. 26. In fact, for many years, just a historical note, many people didn't even, I say many people, historians actually were skeptical whether Pilate actually existed. But in 1961, they found this thing that's called the famous inscription of Pilate that has completely verified the historicity of this person. Because we really didn't have much 
to go on except for the letters of the New Testament and some other things. But they have found physical evidence for this individual ruling in Judea as basically a chief uh, governor of Judea during this time that the New Testament claims that this individual named Pilate was ruling. This individual was in control of the entire region of Judea. He had almost complete control. The only person that would have more control over him would be Caesar himself. This person was a very powerful man. In fact, he had power over anyone's life that lived in Judea, including the Jews. He had power over the temple. He controlled how the temple was managed and operated by the Sanhedrin and by the, by the Sadducees. He controlled the monies. They couldn't do anything without the approval of this man, Pilate. Remember, these individuals living in this region, they lived there. They were allowed to have the religion. They were allowed to have the temple, but they had to do it under the auspices, under the authority of the Romans. And he was in complete control to the point where the Jews would have to bring them or someone that they were wanting to put to death, the Pilate, for him to actually agree to their verdict, to certify their verdict. And so here you have this in individual Pilate, this very powerful man that seems to be very perplexed. And Jesus starts talking about truth. And he asks that age-old question, what is truth? What is truth? And so we're going to look at that question today. What is truth? And what is our responsibility with it? Let's go to Ephesians, the first chapter. There are several things that we can look at in the scriptures. I've, I've actually got a few of them down that we're going to look at. But there are several things that we can look at in relevance to this idea of truth and our responsibility with it. And the first one is simple. And as I say simple, really, the truth of God is simple. It's difficult in some ways because we're finite individuals. We're human. It's hard to understand things that are, you know, obviously things of God sometimes. But I think in some ways, the, the truth of the scriptures, the truth of God, the reason it can be difficult is not because they're difficult in and of themselves, but because the world that we live in is so in contrast to the truth of God. But... In Ephesians, the first chapter, verse 13, we see that the gospel is the truth. Ephesians, the first chapter, verse 13, says this, In him you also trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession the praise of his glory. And so right here, Paul is presenting us with the process of conversion. Our conversion came from hearing this gospel message. This message is rooted in truth. As the scripture says, faith comes from hearing the word of God itself. We were saved in a message, the gospel message. And we know the gospel is much more than just about the doings of Jesus. It's both. It's about this, this kingdom that Jesus is going to bring to fruition on this earth. This news that God exists, that He has a plan for humanity, and this is how He is accomplishing His plan. The gospel truth. The gospel truth. But the biggest thing about the gospel being true is, is that it's actually tangible. I want us to think about that idea. 
The gospel is truth. We were saved in this gospel message. But so much of the Bible we look at and we see individuals from different countries and different nations going back to the, the nation of Israel in the Old Testament. And we see so often the problem with the nations is that they are following after things that are not real. False idols, fake things. They're believing in fake gods, fake belief systems. The gospel, though, is a tangible reality. It's something that's not just a philosophy. It's not just this idea. But it's rooted in truth. It's rooted in reality. It's rooted in events that have actually taken place. Jesus Christ literally lived on this earth. He literally died. He literally rose from the grave. It's a literal reality. And it's based in truth. And it's through this truth of the gospel that God has called us. That he has worked miracles. And that he has turned the world upside down. Let's go to Colossians, the first chapter, verse 5. One of the greatest realities that we can think about, obviously, is the resurrection and things like that, but just us as individuals. We talk about the gospel being tangible. Look at your life. Think about your life. Think about how your life has changed and been transformed. By this message of the gospel. By this reality of Jesus Christ. Colossians, the first chapter, verse 5 says, We give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love for all the saints, because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, of which you heard before in the word of truth of the gospel which has come to you as it has also in all the world and is bringing forth fruit as is also among you since the day you heard and knew the grace of God and truth. And going back to that idea of working miracles and about the gospel being reality, I want to think about this point right here in our individual lives. Think about the transformation that's taken place in your life because of this. Are we perfect? Of course not. Are we even close to perfect? Of course not. But many of us, we can think back to what we were like before we heard this news, before we began this relationship with the God of the universe through His Son, Jesus Christ. You know, I'm always reminded by that story in Matthew, the 19th chapter, about Jesus and this rich young ruler. You guys probably heard of the story. We're not going to turn there. But in that story, what we, we learn about is this man, he's, he's righteous, he's, he's very wealthy, he's obviously Jewish, he's an individual that understands the law of God, he grew up in it, and he talks to Jesus, what do I do to inherit eternal life? And he starts talking to Jesus, and Jesus says things, well, you know, keep the commandments, if you, you know, don't steal, don't murder, honor your father and mother, and the guy's like, man, I've, I've done that since my youth. Jesus says, you have done that. But there's one thing you lack. Go sell everything you have and give it to the poor. The man leaves in sorrow. Because how important that wealth was to him. How hard it was going to be to give that up. 
And here's my point. Is it about riches? Yes, it can be. But its implications is much more far-reaching than just riches. Because Jesus says that it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a man to inherit eternal life. And the apostles or disciples at that time were like, well, who in the world can be saved then? And Jesus basically says, with man things are impossible, but with God nothing's impossible. And the point that I'm getting to here is that the reality, the fruits, the transformation, the miraculous transformation, is that Jesus is setting up this idea that think about all of the things that people are ensnared with. Addictions. The gods of this world that they're ensnared with. That without God, it would not be possible for them to be able to give that up. And to change the course of their life. It's a miracle. Some of the transformations that God has done in people's life. And it's only possible through Christ and through the truth of the gospel. Because the gospel is true. Look at the apostles. We remember them as disciples. We kind of covered this back in our Pentecost study. We talked about the path of Pentecost. In the last study, we talked about power. And we kind of looked at the disciples and looked at their behavior and, and their mindset. And in some ways, their cowardness before they received that Holy Spirit, before they were truly transformed and converted. And all of a sudden, those individuals that all abandoned Jesus when Jesus was being arrested are now standing toe-to-toe -to -toe with the individuals that put Jesus to death. Standing and telling them that, no, we will not stop proclaiming the word of Christ. It's better for us to obey God than man. That right there is an example of tangible truth, tangible reality. It's not just some philosophy, but it's a real conversion, a real transformation that's taken place. We also know that the Bible, the word of God... Is called the word of truth. And kind of going back to what David was talking about. In 2 Timothy. Chapter 2. Verse 15. We see Paul say this to Timothy. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God. A worker who does not need to be ashamed. Rightfully dividing the word of truth. Rightly dividing the word of truth. Be diligent means to. Give extra devoted attention. And kind of going back to what David was talking about. When we go to interpret the Bible. We have to be extra diligent. That we are interpreting it correctly. As David brought out. Many people have pointed to certain passages in the Bible. And tried to show things out of context. Haven't considered. You know maybe the full ramifications and maybe the interpretation that they came up with. Don't look at other scriptures and compare them to other scriptures and what the other scriptures have to say about that same idea, about that same truth. Okay? So the Bible is also called the word of truth. It's interesting how easy it is to see people out in the world and of course we're not immune to this ourselves. Even in our own tradition, we've seen people distort the truth of God, the Word of God. Looking at the next thing, the truth will set us free. Let's go to John, the 8th chapter. 
The truth will set us free. The truth will set us free. John 8, verse 31 through 32. Verse 31 says, Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. You see, the truth isn't just something that's in and of itself, just a self-contained deal. The truth has power because it comes from God. The truth, opposed to what many people want to say, doesn't bog us down, but rather gives us liberty. It frees us. God's purpose for His truth is liberty. You see, what people don't realize is, is that when you're not living in truth, you're enslaved to fabrications. You're enslaved to lies. You're enslaved to sin, to this world. You're, one, you're like blind. And that's one of the motivations behind naming this, this, this sermon today, the light of truth. The light of truth. We know that Psalms 119, verses 105, says that your word is a light to my path. That's what God's word is. It's something that lights up this world for us to understand, to not be enslaved by the, by the philosophies or to the philosophies, to the ways, the corruptions, the illusions that all around us that the world is presenting us with. It's interesting, though, looking at Psalm 119, verse 105, famous passage, your word, thy word is a light unto my feet. If you go down a few passages, you read, and I'm paraphrasing, you read essentially in verse 107, David, who wrote this, say that I am afflicted, revive me with your word. It's interesting, not only is it a light to our path, but it's also medicine to our, to our souls. It's something that can help spiritually heal us I am afflicted revive me with your word let's go to 1st Timothy chapter 3 verse 15 and get into something really important a responsibility because we're looking at what is truth we know that the gospel is the truth we know that the the, the Bible God's word is the truth we know that the truth the implications of the truth it'll set us free but 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14 and 15 says, These things I write to you, though I hope to come to you shortly, but if I am delayed, I write to you, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God. The house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. The church of God, God's living organism, worldwide, no pun intended on that, but all around the world, okay, is God's heritage, God's household. And as God's household, and I'm not just talking about this church, just to be clear, I'm talking about all those true spirits living individuals that are a part of the body of Christ all around the world. 
is God's household, and as God's household, we have a responsibility to be good stewards of the truth of God. We have the responsibility to protect, to nourish, to live by, and to uphold the truths of God. We are the individuals, collectively, that are representing the body of Christ, representing Jesus and God the Father on this earth. Jesus says that you are the salt of the world. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the earth. We know that we are reflectors of the true light, which is God and Jesus Christ in heaven. We know that we are the individuals. We are the ambassadors to the king. Me and Mr. Hope last week were talking about this. We were having a discussion. And I was telling him something that I heard a long time ago. But it's very, very true. Well, a long time ago. I heard it probably just a year ago. Actually, it wasn't that long ago. But this was, you are the only Bible. And I've said this before probably. You are the only Bible most people will ever read. Let me repeat that. You are the only Bible. You. Your actions, your attitudes, the way you conduct yourself are the only Bible that most people will ever read. How do you represent it? How do you represent God? Let's go to 2 Timothy verse, or chapter 3. And as we know, in light of, obviously, the things that we see, the world that we live in, some oppose the truth. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. But know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanders, Slanders without self-control, uh, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but, not, but denying its power, and from such people turn away. For of this sort are those who creep into the households and make captives of gullible women loaded down with sins, led away by various lusts, Always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Isn't that interesting? Always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now as Janus and Jambres resisted Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds disapproved concerning the faith. And it's, it's, it's concerning, it's disappointing, it's unfortunate, but I think many of us understand that this is the reality that we indeed live in today. And I'm not saying that this is the end days or anything like that. I make no comment about that. But it's definitely something that we probably witness as we see in the news. And we see terrible things happen. Not to uh, hop on the negative or anything like that. But just being real and what the Bible has to say and the reality that we live in and seeing some of these things come to truth. Interesting though, I want to point back out that idea, always, in verse 7, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. We are always learning as a humankind. We look at the technology, 
We look at the inventions, the innovation, all of which is a testimony of the intellect of God as we have been created in His image. But despite all of the learning, despite all of the innovation, the discoveries that we continue to make, it seems that this scripture is so fitting because no matter how many pieces of evidence that is presented, no matter how many uh, you know, things really just like shout the glory of God, people continue to deny his existence. Continue to ignore, whether this be evidence in science, medicine, history, things that you know, uphold the idea of a creator, point to the idea of our creator and not to get it this isn't my area per se this is Steve's area I think a little bit more with the evolution ideas and things like that but even going before that it just it, it's, it's crazy to think just the idea of existence itself with nothing I mean forget you know how do humans get here forget how how even the universe got here. How, how is there even matter? How is there even existence at all? Those are the questions I've always asked. Everyone's always talking about evolution, always, always talking about all these other things. I go even farther back than that because I, I want to know, you know, how does existence, I mean, how does reality, why is there even a reality? How does that come about? How does some nothing come into something? It's, it's a contradiction in the, in the basic law of cause and effect. It's a basic contradiction. All right? Let's go to 1 John. I know we're going through a lot of passages today. I'm not very used to this. I usually don't go to this many passages. But I want to kind of do a little survey and looking at some different things when it comes to truth. 1 John chapter 3, verse 18. 1 John chapter 3, verse 18. This idea is kind of piggybacking the theme of the book of James that I just went through last year. It says in 1 John chapter 3, verse 18, he starts out by saying, My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And by this we know that we are of the truth and shall, and shall assure our hearts before him. For if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart. And knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence toward God. But whatever we ask, we receive from Him because we keep His commandments and do those things that are pleasing in His sight. And this is His commandment, that we should believe on the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as He gave us commandment. James talks basically the same thing, the idea of the tongue. The idea about how powerful the tongue is. And the theme of James, as we all know, is not just talking the talk, but walking the walk. We must not just let the truth be the truth, but if the truth is actually working in our lives, it will change who we are. It will go back to being that transformation, that tangible reality that can be demonstrated in the world. And so I have one more question. Well, actually two more questions, but one more question that kind of goes on. We looked at what truth is. Truth is such a vast topic. The Word of God is truth. The Gospel message is truth. It's rooted in reality. It's rooted in facts. It's not just a philosophy. It's not just an, 
an ideology, but it's something that is tangibly in, in play in each one of our lives in transforming us. Let's ask the question, why is it so hard for the people of this world, for people throughout history, to recognize the truth? And I think the answer to this is simple. So many people in the world try to rely on themselves and their own experiences. And this is what we've got to get to. This is where you come as a Christian, as a believer in God. You come to the realization that you don't know everything. When you come into a relationship with the God of this universe through Jesus Christ, His Son, you are entering into a relationship where you have humbled yourself. And not only have you asked for forgiveness of your sins, and not only have you realized that you're not worthy, not only have you realized that you can never live up to the standard in which God expects us to live up to, to in order to inherit eternal life, but only Jesus Christ has done that, and only through Him can we come into that relationship, that salvation relationship. But you also come to the humble realization that you are a finite individual. That you don't understand everything. That you, you can't understand everything. This is the problem that I believe that many of the leaders in Jesus' day, this is what kept them from recognizing truth when it was staring right at them. Let's go to John, the 8th chapter. Let's just think about this. You have these individuals, so many different examples, that are experts in the law, the Torah. They're experts in the ways of the Jews, the heritage and the history of the Jews, the promises of God, the prophets, the writings. But somewhere in the process of time, they began thinking that this is the way things are. We've mapped it out. It has to happen like the way we think it has to happen. And thus they blind themselves when the truth is right in front of them. John 8, verse 12, says this. Then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. The Pharisees therefore said to him, you bear witness of yourself. Your witness is not true. Verse 14, Jesus answered and said to them, Even if I bear witness of myself, my witness is true, for I know where I came from and where I am going. But you do not know where I came, come from and where I am going. You judge according to the flesh. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one, and yet if I do judge, my judgment is true. For I am not alone, but I am with the Father who sent me. It is also written in your law that the testimony of two men is true. I am one who bears witness of myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness of me. Very interesting what was said there. Jesus says, you judge according to the flesh. You see, the thing about it is, is that God, He's not limited by one perception, one perspective. We as individuals are. We human beings are. We're limited to our own society, the cultural norms that we grow up with, the family that we grow up with, the experiences that we have. When we see things, when I'm looking at Steve, I see Steve in front. I see the front of Steve. 
Someone in the back looking from another perspective doesn't see the front of Steve like I do, but they see the back, and I don't see the back. That is a fleshly perspective. We as individuals in the flesh are finite. God sees all at all times. He has the luxury of seeing beginning, present, future, past, present, future. He does not have a limit. And when we come to the realization that that is how things are, that we're just fleshly human beings, and we go to the word of truth, then we can recognize truth as it is. I'll read one more little passage here. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 11 through 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 11 through 12. For what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the spirit, <clears throat> except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. One of the basic things and the reasons why people, this world, many people don't recognize the truth of God is because you must have the Spirit of God in order to understand it, in order to recognize it, in order to come. And we know that the Spirit of God is given to us at baptism, but we also would probably all agree that the Spirit of God is working with us and leading us to that point even before we're baptized. That's convicting us in that decision Convicting us in realizing who we are. Unworthy. Individuals in need of forgiveness. And individuals that don't have all the answers. That can't rely on our own understanding. That realize that it's futile. That think that we can figure everything out on our own. Because we can't. And so we need God to show us the truth. So in conclusion... I want us to think about these things. And I want us to kind of review God's words, God's truth, the Bible, the gospel. Those things are sure reality. They're rooted in facts. They're rooted in things that are living and can transform us continually. They're not just philosophies. They're not just ideas. As God delivers us the truth, we have the responsibility to act upon it because it is alive. We have the responsibility as God's truth to uphold, to proclaim it, to cherish it, to be the ones, like the ones crying in the wilderness to this world, of the truth, not getting wrapped up in the fabrications of the world as we see the world continually does. The truth is meant to change our lives. We understand this. It's not to make us the same. We're not to be the same. We're to continually be changed by the truth. We cannot understand the truth if we rely on the flesh. We have to rely on God's truth through the Spirit. And so in conclusion, I want us just to think about these things. Think about how important truth is. Think about how much of a blessing it is that God has given us His truth. Think about just the Sabbath. How nice it is in the world that we live in to be able to take a break every seven days and get away from all of that and come here or wherever you may choose to go, study your Bible and study the truth. 
very refreshing. Okay, it sounds very cliche, but it really is in this current societal climate that we have where the truth is kind of one of those things where people just shrug. I don't know what the truth is. And what is truth? Like Pilate said. So as we reflect upon these things and as the holy days are coming up, let us just thank God of the blessing that we have, that we have the light of truth.